Welcome to the Racially Responsible Podcast, a show designed to call in, support, and provide loving accountability for white women and anti-racism work. If you have ever questioned your role and approach in this work or wondered how you can create an impact for racial equity and justice, you are in the right place. I'm your host, Rory Geller Muhammad, a white woman doing this work alongside you in real time with my family, local community, and institutions that I'm connected to. I'm also a licensed clinical social worker, the creator of the Changemakers program, and deeply committed to working for a safe, loving, and inclusive world. I'm so glad you're listening and joining me on this journey. Here we go. Welcome, everyone. Today, I am excited to welcome our guest, Nakosha Anderson. Nakosha is a business and intellectual property attorney for the last eight years who assists primarily women creatives who want to legally protect their income-producing ideas. She safeguards businesses and brand assets to ensure their intellectual property is secure and not stolen, allowing the business owner to creatively operate in their genius and not be robbed of what's rightfully theirs. She serves clients in the space throughout the United States. Welcome, Nakosha. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited you're here too. Thank you so much. Nikosha, can you tell us um, about the work you do and the way that issues of racial equity and justice show up? Oh my gosh. We only have such a short amount of time, but I will (laughs) do my best to succinctly answer your question. Um, Racial injustice appears in ownership whether that's land, real estate, but also intellectual property ownership. Oftentimes, um, solutions to the world's problems are created by people of color, but because they don't necessarily have the education when it comes to ownership with intellectual property, they give the solutions away without getting compensated or have or maintaining ownership for the things that they do. Um, that shows up in um, a lot in the business world. For instance, we think of the Fortune 100 companies or another example would be um, brands realizing that a lot of the secret trade secrets that they got came from people of color. You can do your history about Jack Daniels. The Jack Daniels brand is another one. I know that they have compensated the family, but the recipe for Jack Daniels was actually created by a man of color. And um, it, it, those types of incidences, incidents, I can't talk, those types of one-off, they, they're not one-offs. They right, happen right. very frequently. So racial injustice as it relates to intellectual property ownership is, is very, very present and alive today, yes. which is one of my missions is to ensure that women, especially women um, creatives of, of color, understand what intellectual property is and how it can benefit them in their business because it's an asset that I mean yeah that's amazing the work that you're doing for those of us who may not be as familiar of like intellectual property just like a simple breakdown like what is intellectual property even intellectual property is the ideas ideas that you come up original thoughts that you transfix in other mediums for instance if you have a, a machine or if you have a scientific invention, um, STEM, think science, technology, something like that, that would put you in the patent world, right? Okay. Um, Some systems, 
patent world. But if you have something that's intangible, meaning you can't see, feel, touch, taste it, but it does exist, like a logo or a slogan or a sound mark, um, we're all very much familiar with Netflix, right? Right. You know that sound that they play every time you press to play something that boom, boom, boom. That's a trademarkable sound. So it's not just, you can't taste it, but you know it exists, you experience it. Those are trademarkable things. And then lastly, you have copyrights. Copyrights is the actual physical form of an idea that has been transfixed. Think your uh, painting, think music, think lyrics, think um, um, a book, think your your pitch deck. These are all things that are physical and they went from your brain to some permanent Um, fixed medium so when you write sentences books those are you you can they're attached to something that's permanent that's a copyright thank you thank you for explaining that you're welcome and I like the examples great examples so can you tell us um, about some of the disparities that exist in the legal profession that you see in your work I mean I know we've talked we talked you told me a little bit last time when we had Uh, chat (laughs) yes Um, but yeah to share with everyone I think those are such important things yes so um I know the audience wasn't privy to our previous conversation, but um, just to catch them up, a lot of the world doesn't know that in the United States, only 5% of the lawyers uh, who have maintained active membership in a state bar is only 5%. Um, Of the millions and millions of individuals in our great nation, only 5% of the active lawyers are are people of color. So we have a long way to go in this uh, little small segment of the world um and it's it's disparaging because a lot of the people who interact the most with the law are people of color but they don't have people who look like them representing them and that in itself creates another issue within the cyclone of the law so i think having people be educated on how this came to be is important because the bar a long time ago there was no bar it was people would go get the professional training they would do it under mentorship sort of like how doctors used to do it under mentorship you would Mm -hmm. learn from other professionals in the space and then you would get so much training and then you could be declare yourself to be this type of profession well um when certain individuals realized that people of color and Jewish individuals wanted to pass the bar. I mean, come into the lawyer space, they didn't like it. So they then started into, you know, implementing barriers to prevent those types of people from entering the space. Sort of is very akin to the, um, the types of tests people had to take to get the right to vote. Right. So I use that analogy. It's the same thing with the bar. The bar didn't always exist. It was literally a bar to prevent people from entering the space. And then that is why we have such a small percentage of color, because these tests were designed purposefully to keep people of color and Jewish individuals outside of the profession. Wow. Yeah, I think that's such so important, right? Like why we need to know our history, Mm -hmm. right? And why it's so important that we know these things that necessarily aren't always discussed because in order for us to kind of rethink, like how do we change this and what are other ways that this can look if we don't know how we got to where we are, we we can't even begin to have those conversations. So thank you for enlightening us um, and sharing that information with us. 
Yes, it's a lot of people don't know it. Um, and so one of the challenges we face, of course, is the financial barriers to enter these spaces. I mean, that is prevalent in a lot of um, professions, but especially in, in the um, profession of law, most people of color have to take out so much in student loans. And then that prevents them from even entering the space because they don't have the financial backing to do so. And yes, we know there are um, grants and all those things, but that takes resources to apply. Right. You can't just say, oh, go apply for a grant or go uh, do really good and get a scholarship. That takes resources to apply for these things. Right. So that's also a barrier and I, I I really push back against that that counter argument that people say well you just go get a scholarship or go be educated on the loans live above live within your means sir ma'am respectfully I need these loans because I don't have any help at home right. and a lot of kids take out the max because they're supporting their families right because that person is not available to provide the work for their family because they're off in school. So it's not just them living above their means. They're probably using that as a buffer because that person is not a part of the day-to-day to provide for the family. Right, right, no, I hear that. What, what changes would you, would you love to see happen? <laughs> I'm sure the list is. We don't have enough time. <laughs> What changes would I like to see? I would love to see in the profession more um, people of color appointed to Article Three judgeships. Those are your life tenure judgeships because I think being in the space will change things. Yes. I would love to see a Black woman on the Supreme Court. We've never had one. The only um, Black individuals we've had, of course, were Thurgood Marshall and uh, Justice Thomas that we have right now. I would love to see a Black woman on the Supreme Court. Um, we've had a Hispanic woman with Sotio Meyer um, and um, Jewish individuals, but I would love to see a Black woman. I think that would change some things because um, representation ma- matters yes, a lot. Yes. I would love to see people in their communities as a grassroots actually understand how government works on a local level. Um, oftentimes there are community boards, there's advisory boards. These are things that people can actually participate right now to affect change on a, on a more day-to-day level. It's not always federal level where we get the most impact. It's your day-to-day. Um, typically people only vote when there's a presidential election, not realizing that local government has elections as well. These include your police chief. These include your fire chief, these, your water management. These are all things that impact you day-to-day, but you don't go and vote. Most people don't go and vote or become active in these types of things. And I feel like that is creating a lot of racial uh, disparagement in the day to day. And so people don't understand that. And there are boards, things, committees you can sit on just to learn why you're paying what you're paying in water, why you're paying what you're paying in garbage, why you're paying what you're paying in these types of things. And if you get educated and pay attention you can have more impact. So that's what I would love to see. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are very important things for sure, definitely. Can you tell us about your your racial, ethnic, cultural background and if or how that has impacted your work? Okay, sure. So I was uh, born in Alabama in a Northwest city 
Um, it's called Florence. It's off of the Tennessee River Valley. Um, it's, uh, I was born to African-American parents. My father comes from a mixed race background. Um, we have Caucasian family members uh, due to slavery, of course, and the after effects of that in a small rural town. It's not rural anymore because it's totally different. Um, it's about 45 minutes outside of Huntsville. If I say Huntsville, most people know that okay. area for the space and all the companies that are coming into the area. Yeah. Um, my mom also African-American descent, rural farm um, background. And um, I, so yeah, I identify as African-American. I've had the pleasure of being in what I like to call a uh, interracial relationship, more so a cultural uh, interracial. My husband is not um, African. He is actually technically is the true definition of an Mm African-American. He is Nigerian. So I'm learning about different cultures and, and that has been different because although we may look skin tone the same, we are totally different from uh, cultural norms. And I tell everybody I'm in an interracial relationship because it is so different, good, different, but different. Um, He has some practices that I've never experienced food that I've never experienced. Um, Just know like um, how to say things that they may be considered disrespectful is not disrespectful Um, you know like but being open-minded is what it has expanded my mind further so my daughter is literally I have a little one yeah my my daughter is literally the definition of an African-American because she has Mm -hmm. American because that's how I identify and then her father who's African and so that is different and my husband is African like firstborn African (laughs) right right that's awesome you know and and I I love that you're you know that you're sharing that with us and I want to point out because I think sometimes assumptions that people can make white people sometimes white people Mm -hmm. specifically is that when we think of sort of uh, like multicultural relationships or multicultural families, that's not the typical Mm-mm. maybe image that comes to mind. And even that's portrayed, like, you know, we're talking about representation yeah. that's portrayed in TV, in movies, on oh. like in our daily life. And so it's important, I think, for all of us, like that to expand maybe sometimes where what the, what those images and what we imagine, what we think yes. of yes. when we hear multicultural relationship, intercultural, interracial, multiracial, right? All of those types yeah. of things. So I, I appreciate you sharing, sharing that with us. <laughs> yeah, I really, it has really opened up a whole new world for me because I now look at things different. For prime example, if you are a Caucasian descent, but your husband's Jewish or your wife is Jewish, from the outside looking in, you both look like two Caucasian, individu- Caucasian individuals, but really you're multicultural. If you, if they are active in their Judaism so there's some people who are not and that's perfectly fine but I always tell people ask and one of the key things that I used to do just to throw people on their toes is I wouldn't say my uh, husband I would say my partner partner yeah and I did that purposefully to see how you would respond because would you treat me different if you thought my partner was same sex right Because usually people who say partner, they think same sex, but that's not the case. My husband is my partner. Right. Right. Right? And now that we have legalized gay marriage, 
I can say spouse and you don't know if I'm talking same sex or not. So why would you treat me different or approach it different? So that I think that is opening up a lot of minds too. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And I think, right, the language is so important, how we can use more inclusive language yep. um, and what that means. And even, you know, so like the, the Jewish, right? So like someone who's Jewish, if they are, so they're white and Jewish and they're with somebody who's white and Christian, right? And what that's yep. like, or depending even to people who are Jewish and white and what that, or a person of color that's Jewish and a white person that's Jewish, right? So there's so mm-hmm. many, right? And so we don't always think of so many different images mm-hmm. of what this can look like. And so how important representation is in language is around Agreed. these things. I agree. I think the yeah. media plays a role in yeah. cultivating certain ideas of what people look like. But I also say the older you get, the choices you have. So if you're choosing to engage in media and that only displays or depicts certain things, that's your conscious choice at this point. Because yeah. when we're kids, okay, we don't have as many choices. Right. Uh, but the older you get, you do have an active choice. Yes. Yes, definitely important points for sure. What are some of the common challenges that your clients face when they come to you for help and how do sort of disparities and inequities play a role or not play a role in any of that? Okay. So I'm going to tackle that question because I heard it in this way. Okay. Uh, What are some common issues that my clients face when they come to me? Typically the common issues or things that I see is they don't believe that they can protect the things. They don't have the belief that, oh, well, it's nothing, it's little this, it's it's just that. No, this is making you money. This is earned, this is your income producing idea. This is your income producing brand. This is an asset. This is this is this is currency. This is currency. You can trade this for something of, of equal like value. So we have to treat it the same way. We treat our, our retirement portfolio the same way we treated, like if you have a home, would you leave the front door of your home open for anybody to come and go as they please take what they want when they want? No, you lock it up, right? You turn on your security system. You, most of us nowadays have cameras everywhere. <laughs> I mean, there's more, can we interact with more lenses now than any generation, So please explain to me why we cannot protect your income producing brand or asset. Let's get over that. And I say that's one of the things that limiting belief is what's preventing people from progressing to the the wealth that they say they want for their business. Okay. So I say that's one. Yes. Two, um, the in addition to not having that limited, in addition to having that limited belief, not understanding that this temp, this investment because it's an investment to protect. Right. The investment that you need to protect is going to give you the value long-term. So that's why I use the analogy of your retirement portfolio. Right. You're making these savings investments now for the value they're going to give you long-term. It's the same thing with protecting your income producing brand or assets in your business. They're going to give you value long-term. I know there are certain businesses right now that are not producing revenue, but they have and tremendous um, value in their brand. And that's what's carrying them right now, that longevity of the brand. And that is what people want. That is what people recognize, especially with trademarks, because they're source identifiers. They are source, they are 
uh, source identifiers for your goods or services. So that way people will know you and your brand and what they're going to get. Same if I tell you Procter and Gamble, you know, you're going to get a good quality brand there, right? Mm -hmm. Because of the way that they've done things in the past. If I see Procter and Gamble on a product, I know that it's been tested. I know it's good quality control. I'm going to get a good, valuable product because of the brand. Right, right. I haven't even tried the product, but the brand currency is what got me. Right, right, right. The same thing can happen for you and your business. There, you are no different from Procter and Gamble. You are no different from Coca Cola. You are no different. The only thing is, they have a little history and a little bit more revenue. But you can get there too if you so choose. If you make the smart goal to say, Nikosha, I want to make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in revenue. All right. Let's do it. We break that up into smaller chunks and we tackle it day by day. Everybody always uses this analogy and I love it. How do you eat an elephant? Yeah. How do you eat an elephant? You don't. Nope. Nope. You can eat an elephant. You eat an elephant the same way you eat anything else. One bite at a time. Okay. One bite at a time. So your business is the elephant and we're going to tackle it one bite at a time. Okay. That's it. That's all we can I like do. that. No, I think that's great, right? So this idea of how limiting beliefs can often come in the way and then mm-hmm. breaking it up right into smaller pieces that that's are manageable it. for sure. That's, it. that's yeah. it. Because once you secure the trademark, once you secure the patent, majority of these things come with what we like to call ex- exclusivity. So you control who, you control where, you control when, how. That's what you get. So if I don't want to align myself and allow somebody else to use my stuff or be a, so I I got that control. And I think that is what scares people. Okay. Because they've never had that type of control before. They never had to manage these types of things. So when you see all these people on the scene, I'm a mindset coach. I'm this, I'm that. Isn't is I always tell people it's deeper than rap, right? It's deeper right. than rap. It's deeper than I'm gonna generate all this revenue. Cause I always tell people when you have a business, it's going to point out all the things that you're struggling with. If you have a struggle with time, it's gonna point that out. If you have a struggle with money, oh, it's gonna point that out. Right. If you have an organizational issue, it's gonna point all these things out. So we gotta tackle some stuff. Right, right. In order to progress, got it. Do you see um, whether like disparities or inequities coming into play, or the way racism plays a role in any of the things? And what is that? How does that maybe show up, or um, even Um, if not directly, even if it's sort of well, it shows up in the essence of, again, people not understanding what they actually own. So okay. then when they get presented with an offer to buy something, they just jump at it because, oh my God, this person is offering me $20,000 to get my my soap recipe or my candle recipe or how learn how I do things. And they don't understand it. If they're offering you that amount, that means it's worth a whole lot more, Right. So like the valuing of self, the value of okay. self, the valuing okay. Okay. of right. what you bring to the got table it, got it. and people prey on people of color because they know that they may not have the backing to, or the education back, the business acumen to come to a lawyer before they sign a document, come to a lawyer right. to read a contract, come to a, a trusted individual in the community to say, I don't know 
what this says, but can you point me in the direction of somebody? Um, And people prey on people of of communities of color. And it, it, it boils my stomach on the inside because people will come to me sometimes when it's too late and they want me to try to explain things, but they've already signed the contract. They've already engaged. And at this point, they're going to spend more money. And I I definitely can't guarantee, I never can, no matter how much you spend or what stage you're in, I can't guarantee an outcome, but I especially am already behind the eight ball. If you've come to me after you've signed a contract and already engaged in in the deliverables that were required. And I feel like race plays a big deal into that because in business, it's predominantly dominated by white males. Right. And women have such a hard time with entering the space. Women have such a hard time understanding what they don't know because there are invisible barriers in place and they, and they are there. It's not your mind playing tricks on you. It is some invisible barriers that they, people will do to purposely keep you out. You're not crazy. You are not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I really, I kind of, I really appreciate, you know, you saying that, right. Because sometimes I think the thoughts can, those thoughts can mm-hmm. obviously happen because what we're saying, right. If it's not so clear, right. If yeah. it's not written and we, it's hard. So how do we see it and recognize that we're, you know, the person's right. <laughs> we're not crazy or whatever, like the, you know, and that, right. it's a real thing. It's a it's real thing. These real are thing. real systemic things that yes. are playing a role in how we feel and yes. the way that we yes. are navigating life agreed i think that if you think about a business right um i live um where mickey mouse lives right i'm here in orlando and a lot of people don't understand the racial undertones here where mickey mouse is it's it's very if you come outside of what we call the tourist corridor yeah. if you come outside of that you will see it is very prevalent um we have a major highway called i4 it divides our city east and west and it runs parallel along a street called division street oh wow and division street is literally what you are in your brain right now it was the dividing line it was railroad tracks and certain communities know to stay on this side and certain communities knew to stay on that side that's what it was our major highway divides our city so on the east side and closer to the downtown area you will see higher uh, real estate a value you will see ter- certain um, development that you won't see as you go further west or if you go in the heart of downtown southwest okay so um there are what we call major gentrification happening right now um yeah. in those areas most of our major venues are in those areas for instance our our stadium formerly known as the Citrus Bowl. I think it's called Camping World Stadium now. We have a new soccer. All of this is in the heart of an older city called Paramore. Um, It's one of their original African-American cities. They do have a museum. So if you do come to Orlando, come outside of the tourist corridor and go visit it. Um, There are other places downtown that used to be predominantly Black. Uh, There was a, a city that they flooded out purposefully on the east side um to clear this i mean every city has their story yeah and what and what i'm saying is no different from detroit atlanta missouri anywhere you go it's right. a story of this undertone 
But when you come to places, sometimes keep keep your third, keep that, keep your eyes open and look around, look around. Yeah. Do I, am I seeing people that look like me outside of the help, outside of the workers? Right. right? right. Um, there's more to the what meets the eye. And these racial disparities are real, especially in the land of real estate. Right. Right. Because that is usually the, the highest investment most people in America will make ever in their lives is owning a home or owning some form of real estate. And right. that disparaging gap with people of color is tremendous um, right. when you look right. at the, the wealth of right. certain communities versus others. Right. Um, One of the things you know, that I'm loving about sort of the conversation that we're having that I know like I kind of talk about a lot too on different things is this idea of how our personal and professional lives and the overlap of these <sighs> issues, right? And how often it's this idea where it's supposed to be so separate or we were taught, it's I think not. many of us, it was right. And it's not right. There's so much overlap. And so that's one of the things like, you know, just how our conversation is weaving back and forth. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something like for our listeners also, like that that's part of this work, right. Is weaving mm-hmm. the, oops, I'm not going to microphone over <laughs> weaving okay. in between, um, I use my hands a lot when I'm talking. So for me this too. guy, not <laughs> since of people listening, I don't be able to see me. I use my, I was making hand motions and I knocked my microphone over. Um, but I, this idea of how we go back and forth so much and how, how it's important, I think, to bring the personal and professional together so often and to go back and forth in those spaces. So, I mean, I really appreciate that too, about you, your openness and, and us oh, being able to have I, this conversation together. We, Yeah, what you see with me is what you get. I am the same on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. (laughs) Um, So I pride myself in being who I am. You, everybody won't like me. Everybody won't come to me for work, and I'm okay with that. I please rest assured that I sleep very well at night, and um, I think that's the beauty that and a and a privilege that I have. Because yeah. there's a lot of individuals who don't have the privilege that I have, but you know what? I think I think I'm very thankful for the sacrifices that my family made for me to have this privilege. Yes, because I am the first uh, lawyer in my family. I am wow. was one of the first uh, doctorate holders in my family. Uh, my mom has a master's. My father is uh, highly educated, owns a logistic company. Um, so, but the furthest they went was there. I'm the only one with a doctorate. Right. Right. Awesome. So imagine the pressures of that and what yeah. came with that and the sacrifices and known and unknown that my family had to make for me to get to where I am. I'm pretty sure there's things my parents did that I will never know. And they don't want me to know right. to make sure that I was afforded the opportunities that they did not have. And I think that is not lost on me. Right. So I, hold a lot of value in this degree and the opportunities that it has afforded me the the, uh, the spaces that I've gotten to uh go to I, the doors that have opened it's not lost on me and I'm extremely grateful and it can get heavy sometimes because the pressure to serve a community that may not always want me yeah is hard um I, before I went back into private practice, I worked for our local government and I didn't get to choose my clients. I got indigent clients. So I dealt with the people who couldn't afford an attorney, but the law says that you have the right to have one. And I typically dealt with those individuals at the worst moments of their lives when their children got taken away. 
right? Can you imagine someone coming into your home right now, your space right now and telling you your children have to go with you and your children crying, begging, pleading, clawing for you and there is nothing you can do about that? right? So that comes with a level of empathy. That comes with a level of, you have to understand that. My family, we didn't always have these things. So I completely can empathize with my former clients. I knew having family members who had addictions, having family members who were homeless, all of that was prevalent for me. So I completely can empathize with, you don't know where your next meal, where your next sleeping arrangement, how you're going to wash your kids' clothes, walking to the laundromat, that wasn't right. lost on me. So that afforded me um, a great deal of understanding to represent my clients and fight harder for them. And I translate yeah. that now with my business clients. I translate that now with the women that I help protect their things. You're not going to come to my clients and take their stuff. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, Linda. I will put on some Vaseline in a minute. We go into the <laughs> trenches. In the words of uh, one of the best movies ever, Godfather, we go into the mattresses. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's such, you know, and such an, you know, inspiring, right? Just like who the work that you've done and the things mm-hmm. that you've done, super inspiring. And to what you're speaking to, so important, I think, for all the barriers, right? To the, all the barriers that were put in place to prevent you from getting where you were, right? And for all the, you know, all the clients that you had dealt with even before, right? All the barriers that made like that are in place that would need mm-hmm. to be undone, that need to be yep. taken away. And that's where the work is, right? Like that's where I for listeners, right? Like this is where we need to think, where is our work? Where do we need to be doing? Where do we need to be speaking up? Where do we need to be showing up? Part of it is like we need to recognize and have an awareness that these barriers even exist in the first place and that these are the situations, right, that that are happening. And so I think that that's really, I think, such an important point um, of, of, of so much, right? You're just sharing so much and grateful for everything you're sharing with us. No, I, I appreciate you having me on and having this platform for me to share. I think one of the key things your listeners can do is believe people. Don't, don't, don't be so quick to dismiss what they say because their experience is not your experience. Right. And I feel like that's where a lot of people go wrong. Well, if they would just get a job, if they would just do this, but what about the things that they had to do to get there? You don't, I had a client, I never forget. I had a client had to walk for miles Yeah. because the agency that according to the law was supposed to give him a bus pass ran out of bus passes and if he didn't show up to this one hearing it was going to be detrimental to his rights so he got up at 2 3 a.m to start walking the miles to get to a court hearing he missed the court hearing by like 10 12 minutes came in had a separate shirt found me in the corridor said miss anderson i'm going to the bathroom i'm going to change my shirt i know i'm late but please please help me help me please I go before a judge and the judge says, I've already called the case. It's so heartbreaking, so yeah. horrible, so lack of humanity, right? Like the, the humanness and how much mm-hmm. that is missing from systems, right? Just the disgustingness that that's even a thing that that, that existed, right? That that was the, the support wasn't provided and that, that, that probably the case shouldn't, you know, even what initiated it yeah. right in the first place, probably, yeah. probably meaningless, like often meaningless. Um, and, and I know, I think for many people that are listening, I know a lot of people also work like in helping professions and things like that. And so when we see, right, it's not like these are not one-off stories, nope. right? These are patterns and systems and things that are taking place. And so 
it's, you know, so, so heartbreaking. And I think often talked about too, is this, this empathy gap mm. that's often missing, right. Yeah. And the humanness. And so this is recognizing it in the awareness piece. And I know often, I imagine most people listening here may have more awareness and stuff uh, around some of and these that things. And that is great. Happen. I think consume, like I say, con- making the conscious choice to consume media that can open your brain and open you to think differently is not just an Apple slogan. It's truly, which is a trademark, which <laughs> um, had to bring it home, but yeah. it's really, really really, really important for us to actively choose to consume media that is not just homogeneous to the things that look like us, speak like us. We need to do things in a different way. And I think your listeners by partaking in this platform is already on the right track. And they're going to have a different, when they see something, if your spidey senses start tingling, it's activated in you. Yeah. And I think even taking like, like the examples that you're giving when often we get like as white people, I think we get stuck in sort of helping people. That, how do we bridge that empathy gap if we're mm-hmm. talking to somebody where it's lacking? And so even I think you gave so many great examples today of mm-hmm. things even to use to bridge sometimes some, some of those examples of like here are specific cases here are specific things in case anybody needs additional right it's it's happening and I think one of the key things I've learned with dealing with a lot of mental health professionals and becoming more um, educated on how I can interact with people is starting off with I believe you yes I believe what happened to you is real yes how can I best support you? What does support look like to you? Because one layer of support for person A is going to look totally different for person B. And I'm not expecting your listeners or even myself or even you to come out here and put a cape on and just change the entire world. It's going to change by the way you interact with people on a day-to-day basis. Right. So if you are, if you, let's say you worked at the DMV, we all have had bad experiences, white, black, yellow, brown, it don't matter. <laughs> Every DM, but I will say that let's say it's 458 and you see somebody coming in your line. You don't know what that person had to do to get there at 458. Right. 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 You don't know if they had to fight off multiple layers. They probably couldn't get off from work. Their kid had to change clothes three times. It's the same thing with moms. We yeah. have no idea. You have no idea <laughs> how hard it is to get little people to school every single day. Oh my day. goodness. That is so true. And I, <laughs> so true. Yes. And you're like, I see you every day. We do the same thing every day. Why is it so different? Every <laughs> day. Oh my goodness. Yes. So that same same idea of getting your kids ready is the same approach you have to take to adults. We don't know what they had to do to get to how they're presenting in front of me today. So let me extend some grace. Let me extend some courtesy, but I'm not saying you just got to always be courteous. Cause like I said, I'm not above putting on no Vaseline on my face. (laughs) If you pop off, if you want to, we can get there, but I'm going to start. Right with grace but if we transition somewhere else I can go there too right so I'm not saying leave it at no I'm just saying activate accordingly yeah and right and what does humanity look like in every situation Agreed. and bringing that into it Agreed. for sure Agreed. for sure Agreed. this is so much fun I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying myself here I, me too I love that you came on one of the, so 
I know you are busy. You have lots going on. Mm. How do you practice self-care? What does that look like for you with Girl. all these different layers, with everything? <laughs> well, I am, uh, I enjoy reading a lot. I have, I was an only child. And so books were my friends. Okay. Books were my different vehicles to escape into different worlds and different characters and all those things. So I enjoy books a lot, a whole lot. So I escape by reading. Um, I love it. Um, If I could get paid to be a professional reader, like for fun, not the stuff I have to read. I do read a lot, but for work, but (laughs) personal reading, um, I would definitely transition into that for sure. Awesome. I love that. I always like to ask because I feel like who can't always like use additional self-care ideas, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like everybody's self-care, like you say, looks totally different and don't mean like yeah. I'm going to a massage or because I think about it. Some of that stuff ain't self-care as you think about it because you got to make the appointment. You got to exactly. drive to get there. You got to drive away. Who's going to have the snacks? Right? <laughs> like all of that to me, right. I mean, yes, it's caring for your body so yes, I, yes. I get that but that's not always the answer sometimes sitting quietly is self-care yes having 15 minutes in the bathroom without your kid coming to the door yeah <laughs> is self-care yep <laughs> I can relate to that one <laughs> taking a shower without mommy is yeah. self-care so true so true <laughs> Or even yeah. the luxuries, taking a shower. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Transitioning. No, nope, no. Nope. But, but you would think it would get better as they get older. But sometimes I feel like well, y'all said it's supposed to get better now that they potty train and put on their clothes and go get snacks. I don't think this is getting better. <laughs> yeah, I've heard like every like every age brings like new new challenges. <laughs> oh, yes, for sure. Yes. So it has been so fun and awesome having you on, having this conversation. Before we finish, I always like to give everybody the opportunity to share anything else that you want to add and also how people can, of course, we'll post all your links um, in the show notes, but any, any, how people can connect with you. Oh, I'm always on Al Gore's internet. So if you want to find me, I'm primarily on Instagram. My handle there is Esquire44. That's E-S-Q-U-I-R-E-4-4. Um, you can always go to my website. Um, it'll be in the show notes, andersonlawfl.com. Um, I am on YouTube under The Business Lawyer Said. Uh, what else? Yeah, I mean, you if you figure out how to spell my name, you Google me, you'll find me on all Gore's internets, I promise. It's Nequotia, same Q sound as in quote. If you can say quote, you can say Nequotia, and that's one thing I will leave your listeners with. If you find an individual with a name that you find challenging to pronounce for you, don't say, oh my gosh, your name is so hard. Restart, restart, restart. Hey, I would really love to learn how to pronounce your name. Can you pronounce it for me? Yes. Reframe that. Do not tell a person's their name is hard because you didn't know how to say Versace. You didn't know how to say Michelangelo. You didn't, somebody had to teach you. So reframe how we approach people with names that we don't identify with as common. Right. Because you could be so, you're disrespecting a culture or heritage that you have no idea about when you say, your name is so hard. Your name is so challenging. 
Yeah. No, stop. Right. That's disrespectful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, that's a triggering thing for me. But anyway. Yeah, thank no, you. that's so important. I appreciate you highlighting that for sure. You know, thank you for having me in my best NPR voice. Thank you for having <laughs> me. Thank you, Nicole. It was awesome having you. Hey friends, real quick before you go, would you like an opportunity to process some of this together that you're listening to, debrief anything that's come up, ask questions, share any aha moments with like-minded people? Come join me in the Racially Racially Responsible podcast community. It's my free Facebook group where you can be sure to be around like-minded people and have an opportunity to go deeper into these topics. It's a space where you can continue the conversation, get additional insights, ask any questions, and even get some behind-the-scenes information. So come join us. Check it out. The link is in the show notes. Now it's time for you to reflect, decide what your next steps are, and start taking action. For additional support, join our mailing list and be the first to get access to new resources, workshops, and upcoming events. The link is in the show notes. Until next time.